Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 179 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 25th. 2011. We've got a really busy show for you this week on the podcast. A ton of questions. If you have questions for us, we love to hear them. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or call us 206-888-6755. We have a few voicemail calls this week we got to get to as well. Lots of questions. Talk about some Ohio State stuff. Reaction from that. Mark Tyler, Pac-12 Media Day, recruiting. we got all that coming on. And we join, we're we joined by Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment as always. Coach, how are you doing? Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. Everything is uh, ready to go. We've got media day tomorrow over in Los Angeles at the Fox Studios, so I'm getting ready for that, and I'm looking forward to talking to all my friends there and also listening to the coaches from the new Pac-12. So we've got two other additional uh, teams to listen to tomorrow, so it'll be a bit longer. It will be. I didn't even think about that. Two more teams to uh, listen to for Pac-12 media day. We'll be down there covering it for uscfootball.com. We'll we'll get some reaction from Coach Harvey Hyde. We're going to get who he thinks where people are going to finish in the in the Pac-12. And I uh, want to thank our sponsor before we jump into everything, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or call them 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Any kind of sporting event, if you want to go to a concert, check out the theater, anything like that in Los Angeles or anywhere across the country, go to SCTickets.com, and they'll help you out. And uh, Coach, Pac-12 Media Day, you don't need a ticket for that. You have to be a member of the media. What, what are you expecting to see there? Where are your picks for all of that? Well, I expect to see everyone a little bit excited and uh, wanting to see just what people's thoughts are and, of course, hear the new coaches uh, talk about uh, their now being a pack of the uh, Pac-12. I'm uh, looking forward to listening to Larry Scott. He normally opens the media day with a brief uh, uh, summary of what's been going on during the year and the football season. He'll probably talk a little bit about the uh, television contracts and the uh, playoff game now for the first time, December the 4th. Uh, he'll be talking about that, I think, a little bit. So I'm just uh, looking forward to seeing if they address the issues and they talk about some of the things that uh, maybe I've always said that they should talk about the rule changes. I know tonight they have an uh, officials meeting, and Tony Carrenti now is the new uh, uh, referee coordinator for the Pac-12. He's been an NFL official for years. I know Tony for a long time when he worked his way up to the old uh, PCAA all the way on up till worked uh, two or three Super Bowls, and now he's still working the NFL and also going to be the uh, official coordinator for the uh, referees. So they're meeting tonight with the coaches on some of the rule changes for this coming year, and I think that I would like to see them take a little bit of time and explain that to the media so the media understand exactly what the rule changes are. I've always said this every year, that there's a lot of things they keep in the dark to the media as far as, and to myself, not that I don't talk to Tony and get the interpretations of these rule changes, but I think it should be out there where people can talk about them and fans understand them before we get started in the championship game. I'd like to ask Larry Scott the question of why, and, and I still don't feel this is fair, why the championship game is played at the home team 
the home team of the team with the best record in the Pac-10 or Pac-12. I don't believe that's fair. I don't feel that's a neutral field. I don't fear that's right. I think it should. That's correct. I think it should be at a neutral site where both teams have the same, uh, you know, opportunity to win. But they're so concerned they won't sell the game out that they're having it at, a, at the home field, so at least they can guarantee a sellout. So, but I don't think that's right as far as having the best team represent their conference in the Rose Bowl or wherever they're going by having the team with the best record host that game. I'd like to ask those type of questions, and I don't know if they'll allow me to do that, but if I have a chance, you know my hand will go up. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, we'll be curious to see what happens down there, Coach, and I think there's a lot of questions in USC fans and – uh, you know, the media are going to be grilling Larry Scott a little bit. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. How cool. It's not going to be at the Rose Bowl like last year, but we'll be at the Fox studio a lot. And uh, you actually be able to watch it. We're going to put the live stream on uscfootball.com. So if you want to hear what happens Tuesday morning, go to uscfootball.com. We'll have the live stream from Pac-12 Media Day. You can hear what all the coaches are up to and stuff. So we'll put that up live on our website. Check that You're out. You're going to do that, huh? We'll do that, yeah. So it should hey, be cool. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Then everyone can be listening and hearing the same things we're hearing when we're there. Yeah, so you can check out what all the coaches have to say. Every coach will have a different player. I think there's 11 offensive players, and Oregon State's bring a defensive player. So a lot of quarterbacks uh, be out there. You'll see guys like Andrew Luck and Matt Barkley and all that. So should be interesting. Uh, well, we got a bunch of questions, Coach, so maybe we should jump into that. Um, last week we got to talk about the Mark Tyler situation. It was funny. We, we recorded the show maybe a couple of hours before USC came out with the, the penalties for Mark Tyler, that he'll be suspended from all team activities and suspended for at least the first game of the season. Um, there was a statement by Mark Tyler, by Pat Hayden. There was a statement by Lane Kiffin. So that all kind of broke down and we were talking about it early coach. And then, uh, so then we did have a couple questions on that. And the first one's a voicemail question. Here's that one. Yeah, hi, Abraham. I just wanted some feedback. I had a thought on Mark Tyler. You know, first of all, he's not a loser, or else you know he wouldn't be where he's at. I think that he's um, the difference between him and say like a T.J. McDonald or a Robert Woods is that they have passion for football, where Mark Tyler, you know, he lacks passion. Otherwise, you know, he'd be in greatest shape possible he's just somebody who's very talented who maybe like being around the guys kind of like Shaquille O'Neal he was just so talented but you know him and Kobe didn't get along because Kobe had passion his work ethic Shaq he just couldn't reach that level but that didn't make him a loser it just means that he doesn't have as much passion for the game Simply put, you just don't do what he does if you, if you do have the passion. And it's the recruiter's job to find the people with the best talent and, along with the most passion. And I'm sure they do their best job in doing that. Just wanted your feedback on that. And secondly, I also wanted to mention that, you know, for the entire Trojan Nation, how about, like, becoming the people's champ this year, just like Muhammad Ali did back when he couldn't have the title, he became the people's champ, and I think the USC nation is strong enough to become the people's champ this year, and, and I think we can. Thank you. Well, thank you for calling in. We appreciate your questions, and I'll try to answer your questions. First of all, let me definitely say I don't think Mark Taylor is a loser. Uh, I think that he's a kid that needs some direction, 
as far as understanding the commitment it takes to be a champion. And to be a champion today, there's so little difference between the edge of winning and losing and the competitiveness, not only on your team, but against other teams, that you have to have a complete dedication to what you're doing. And he's lost uh, focus, I think, a little bit into spending too much time in other areas that he should be dedicating that time to, first of all, becoming what he wants to be as far as uh, an All-American. He should be an All-American. There's no reason why he isn't the All-American that he was predicted to be. And also be committed as far as doing what's necessary to to be a champion, to be a leader. He's a, a senior. He's in an opportunity and a position to dominate in the Pac-12 and, and, and establish what he hasn't been able to establish in the past. And he just hasn't demonstrated that from the spring. I mentioned it in the spring, and I'm mentioning it again now, that in the spring he didn't report in shape. He got hurt. He didn't have a chance to participate in spring practice. That should have been a lesson to him there or a wake-up call. We talked about it there. Maybe you ought to listen to the podcast. And uh, if people don't tell him those things or – then obviously then he's not listening because I know they are. They know, uh, I know that uh, anyone who's around the game, his coaches, his strength coaches, his father, who was a, a great player, and Wendell Tyler and so on, understand the dedicated effort it takes to maintain your body and maintain your focus to be able to be a champion and a leader. And he hadn't been able to demonstrate that when you're a senior and you miss spring practice because you get hurt or you're out of shape. That's not demonstrating what you're supposed to be about and also you lose uh, the respect of your teammates and also the people that watch you and the people that evaluate you as far as the NFL scouts and so on. So I think he's lost a lot of that, and he's been distracted and gotten in trouble off the field. And those things, you've got to remember that when you're at that level of competition, you are a celebrity to people and to the media, and they always watch everything you do. You might not think anyone knows who you are, where you are, but all people know who you are. You might not know them, but they know you. And you've got to learn to be able to put your place at the right time and have some common sense. And he hasn't really demonstrated that, to be messing around in certain places and acting that way. If you are in those type of situations, you've got to act as a gentleman. And when you leave that place, people say, wasn't that, isn't he a great kid? And, or didn't he, I noticed he didn't even drink or whatever. So, you know, he's had those issues and it's going to hurt him. And I'm sorry that happened, but he put himself in that position and he has no one to blame but himself. And as his father mentioned, he thinks the penalty is fair and deserving. And so now everyone's going to have to watch and see how he comes back. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to not be able to be on the practice field, to not be able to participate. You can't look back as a coach and let someone just come back and, and get reps and get back in there, especially when you've had a fall camp and you've also played a game. Uh, you just can't do that, and, and you can't do that to your teammates, and you can't do that to the players who have done everything that's right. So I'd be very surprised if he plays. Maybe he'll play towards the end of the year, and it's going to be a very difficult, difficult thing for this young man. I really think it is. So. That's my feeling on that, and I can't even remember the second half. Oh, of the he was play. talking about the people's champ, USC trying to go out and go undefeated and be the people's champ. Right. Well, they should be, and I've talked about that before, too. I really believe that every Saturday or Thursday or Friday, because the Trojans play on all of those days, sometimes during, sometime during the year, that is their bowl game. 
I even mentioned that I would even give them a ring for every game, some type of token within the NCAA uh, rules and guidelines where, hey, this is our opening game bowl or this is the uh, Golden Gopher Bowl or this is the Sun Devil Bowl or this is the Wildcat Bowl or the Duck Bowl or whatever, and I would prepare for it in exactly that manner. And I would go out as many publications have the Trojans the favorite as far as in the South Division, go out and play for that. And when we didn't have the opportunity to play, when I say we, USC, to play in the championship game, I would sit back and say we should have been there and everybody knows we should be the team in that game and everybody knows that we're the best team in the Pac-12. And that's exactly the way I'd approach this season if I was Lane Kiffin, and I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll get their team ready. I had a chance to talk to a couple of their players this summer, and this is exactly what I passed on to them. Don't worry about it. Some of you, it's your senior year. Go out and leave a a legend. This team will be remembered if you win the Pac-12. The first year there is a Pac-12, and you are denied the opportunity to move on. And when I listen and I hear these reports so far about the NCAA sees that there's no more additional violations with the Ohio State program and they're satisfied, that would even motivate me more to give a pep talk. Dan, I'll tell you what, I could really get those guys fired up. I'm sure you could, Coach. And we're going to talk a lot about that uh, with Dan Weber in the next segment. One more question for Mark Tyler from Steve. He was wondering why Coach Kiffin and Pat Hayden uh, decided to keep Mark on the team. It's a third strike, so to speak. And he kind of expected uh, Mark to be kicked off the team. Here's, there's three reasons he wanted to know maybe that's why he wasn't. First, because Tyler was a senior. He'd be eligible to transfer penalty-free and could go to maybe UCLA or another Pac-12 school. The second was there's a drop-off in talent and experience after Mark Tyler, and they need him to win. I don't really think that's the case, uh, or the first one. And three says they really do care about him as a human being and making his return to the team conditional on competing some sort of substance abuse recovery program and or testing. Thanks. You guys are the best. Keep up the great work. Well, first of all, he can't transfer to any school in the Pac-12. He could transfer to any school in the country, but not in the Pac-12 itself. That's one of the stipulations. They can leave, and he can go to another university. But, uh, again, uh, he wouldn't be able to go to the Pac-12. So do they worry about that? I don't think so. I think if the young man wanted to do that, he'd be running away from what he should be facing, and uh, I think he would be criticized for that. Number two, I sincerely believe that Lane Kiffin and Pat Hayden really do care about this kid. You care about all your kids. You want to give all your kids an opportunity to be successful academically and athletically. And I don't know if he's on course towards graduation, but I'm sure he is. So it wouldn't do him really a lot of good to transfer and maybe lose the opportunity of graduating from USC with a USC degree. That's the number one thing you go to school for and he's probably close to getting his degree. So why would you pass that up? As far as him uh, facing the penalties that he has, that's something he has to face. He knows that he deserves it. He, he's lucky he wasn't kicked off the team. And I think that he now has to be the type of, I think a lot of people will be watching him, including ourselves, the fans, the NFL scouts, and so on, exactly how he, accept, how he accepts this punishment. And I think staying right at USC is the correct thing for him to do. If he has to come back and be part of the scout team, that's what he'll have to do. He'll have to do what's ever necessary to put himself in a position possibly to play. Now, you really don't know what the situation will be at USC at the time that he comes back. 
Maybe uh, there'll be some injuries uh, with the offensive backs. Maybe there'll be some uh, opportunities if he's working hard and understanding and, and and understands the playbook and so on. Maybe he'll be put in on special goal line situations or something, and people might be able to accept that. So, you know, you just can't, uh, you know, say he's through at USC. I would say he has a difficult time in coming back and playing a lot, but I think part of his punishment is to overcome the punishment and prove to the people at USC and prove to the people in the NFL that he definitely should be an NFL football player that he can take the punishment. He is tough. He can reorganize his lifestyles. Now, during this period of time, he'll have some time off where he'll have more time where he could should spend in studying and conditioning, not other play. So I think this is something that's going to be all evaluated, and who knows? He might come back and play a lot, but I think it will be difficult for him. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the, the big thing for me is missing fall camp. If he misses the whole thing or maybe they – let him come back for the second half of fall camp, anything along those lines. Being that far behind the curve, even though you're a senior coach, I mean, I don't know if you had a player that would miss all of fall camp and they could come back in the second game, how hard for that? I mean, how hard is that on a player to try and come back and work his way back in the rotation? No, it's really hard. It's not fair to the team. If you're out there and you're practicing your team all during fall camp and they've been working out and going through all of that, fall camp isn't fun. Fall camp's brutal on your body and your morale and everything else. So it wouldn't be fair. But I think him being a senior, if everybody knows that he's out there working hard, and uh, they would accept it easier for him to come back and maybe sparingly play in certain roles to help the team win. And everybody wants to win. And if someone could come into a game situation where they know he's the best at that situation and what he does there, teams will accept that. Teams will accept that. But, again, he's got to prove that he can accomplish what his punishments have been and get to that position. Otherwise, he'll never have that opportunity. All right. Well, we got one last question, Coach. Uh, it's from our friend Guy. It's about the uh, strength and conditioning program. This is Guy. I want to say that the great Chris Carlisle once said, and I quote, don't look around you for anything else, anything less than perfection. You won't find it. You know what I demand of you. That is why no one else can stay with us through four quarters. That was his creed. Aaron Ausmus used to work for him. Has has Ausmus done everything within his power to return the team to sustained winning shape? Thank you very much. Fight on. Well, Guy, thank you for your question again. Has he? I hope so. Uh, because uh, you have to uh, be in great shape to be able to play at the pace of what uh, offensive running, our offenses are, run, are running, the rate of the number of plays they run in games now, and so on. I think your whole off-season program has to be, has to be geared around that uh, for a head coach or a strength coach not to adapt to what you have to condition yourself for is not getting the job done. Uh, I believe that uh, today the game is really speed it up. There's a lot more substitution going on, whether you have a wave of players playing because of the speed of the game. And there's a lot more talented players on the field than ever before. So you have to be able to play full speed every single down. So uh, I would hope that the conditioning is uh, being done properly. There are always different methods of conditioning. Carlisle's method is not maybe the same as this gentleman's method. I knew Carl Chris pretty well. I've had him on my show many times. 
and I know the type of conditioning that he did. He did not believe in big bulk, uh, strenuous, heavy lifting, power cleans, and all of that stuff. He believed in everything in the weight program to be relative to the game of football. Whatever you do in the weight room, somewhere on the football field, you utilize that skill. Now, the new strength coach, I have not really had the opportunity of meeting him. I have not watched what they do in the weight room. Uh, I know it's very important that uh, he does condition the team to a point that they can play at the same pace that everybody expects them to play at. And if a team isn't conditioned and if a team can't play in the fourth quarter or play against the pace of the, your opponent, then something's wrong and something has to be looked at. Because when you get the greatest athletes in America, which USC has, and I keep saying that because I sincerely believe that, that they should be conditioned to play at a pace that they should be pushing themselves to the limit. Unless they are at that point of conditioning, you're not doing anybody a favor. You're not doing the athlete a favor. You're not doing the team a favor by being what you call uh, easy or not pushing them too hard because they might complain or whatever. It's, it's your job to have that team ready to play against any type of an opponent, any type of offense, and if it goes the full distance of the game to playing the last play of the game to win. Hey, Coach, I agree, and uh, I'll, I'll share some thoughts, Guy. It was a great question, and um, uh, Aaron Osmus is the new strength and conditioning coach. He did work at USC before he was over at Tennessee. I don't think you can put a lot of blame on him last year for the, the condition that players were in in the fourth quarter. It mostly was a so it was an issue of depth where, you know, we, we've talked to Ed Orgeron, we've talked to different line coaches. They're like, yeah, we didn't have any kind of rotation. They didn't feel comfortable. You know, you play four or five guys the whole game on the defensive line. They're, you know, basically only two tackles in the middle. It's tough. Um, so I think this year it'll help just by having more of a rotation. But Coach is right. There's different philosophies and there's different ways to skin a cat. And Aaron Osmus and uh, Chris Carlisle definitely have different um, philosophies on that. Osmus definitely has more of a... Uh, you know, he does like guys to get a little bit bulkier, a little more, a little more strength. He'll do more the power cleans and things like that. Where Chris Carlisle, that wasn't really his philosophy. So things are a little bit different. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying one's better than the other. We got to talk to Chris Carlisle quite a bit when he was around. He was around for quite a while, and we had Aaron Osmus on our UStream show uh, over the spring and got to share some thoughts with him. So if you want to check that out, you can hear some of his philosophy. We had him on the show, and he talked for about a half an hour on what he thinks of you know, how you should do things and his methods and stuff like that. Um, I mean, there's different, I've talked to different players and they, some guys, I mean, it just depends on which way you like. I know there's some guys that went to the NFL from Carlisle's program and really had to bulk up more. Um, I think Kyle Moore was one of the guys I talked to him and uh, he was a lot bigger when he went to Tampa Bay and they, it just, they had a different program. So he was leaner and meaner, I guess, when he was at USC and in, in the NFL, they wanted him to be a little bit bulkier. So uh, it just depends. You're gonna if if you go to you know ten different strength coaches, you're probably gonna get you know some different philosophies. Probably a lot of the same core values, but it is a little bit different. So uh, we'll see. I mean, this year when they have more depth and a little bit more of a rotation, if guys are still running out of gas in the fourth quarter, then that could be something that you know the media is gonna ask uh, Aaron Osmus about. But uh, as of now, I think last year a lot of the issues there were were about depth as opposed to the condition players were in. Well, I tell you, the media doesn't need to ask him. As head football coach, I'd ask him. Yeah, I think Lane Kiffin would. <laughs> I don't think I'd wait for the media. No. <laughs> well, just for our I sake. Might, I might meet, you, meet him in the middle of the field. Uh, but, yeah, I, think, I like Aaron Osmus a lot. He's a good guy. And I, I don't even of... know him, and I'm just fooling around when I say yeah. that. 
But but what I'm saying that, that, that I think that's a must today in the modern football that's going on. It's a must to have your cardiovascular your cardiovascular system and your conditioning that you can pay at the play at the pace of what you're going to see today on offense and defenses. You've got to be able to be in great condition. Now, if your philosophy is to be big and so on, sure, you can be big, but you better be in shape, too. I agree, Coach. All right, well, we, we're going a little long this segment. That's okay. We like talking to you, Coach. We like answering all the questions, and we had a bunch, and we have a bunch more to get to. We'll jump on all of those throughout the rest of the podcast. But thanks again, Coach, for coming on. We'll talk to you next week. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I'll see you tomorrow at Media Day, and uh, I'll look forward to talking about that next week. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk at Media Day tomorrow, and uh, thanks again to Southern California Tickets. Everybody will be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber. He's got a lot to say about the Ohio State situation, so stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com. Beat writer Dan Weber joining us on the line. Lots to get to. Dan, how you doing? Everything going all right? Doing great. Yeah, big uh, big start to the week. Uh, Pac-10 is, or Pac-12, we'll probably say that about a thousand times. Yeah. Pac-12 <laughs> is their uh, uh, get-together for the new uh, people that are running football officiating tonight. And then uh, we've got Pac-12 Media Day tomorrow. So, uh this is a, a big week. It's really going to finally seem like football. For sure, for sure. We'll, uh, we'll be out there tonight. We'll have reports on uscfootball.com. What's going on? We'll do interviews, uh, talking about the officiating. Uh, anything you're expecting to see from the, uh, the officiating there? Well, I just like it that we're going to get a chance to meet uh, uh, Tony Carrente, the uh, La Mirada, uh, former La Mirada high school baseball coach, uh, a Southern California guy, uh, uh, he worked his way up to be a uh, Super Bowl Pac-12, uh, or excuse me, Super Bowl NFL referee. Uh, didn't work in the Pac-12, uh, unfortunately. Uh, there wasn't any room, <laughs> there wasn't any room for a guy who could referee the Super Bowl no. <laughs> in the Pac-12. The old Pac, you know, the old Pac-10 football officials. I, I think a, a perfect choice. It, it would seem to me to be the, the new guy to run the, run the uh, Pac-12 uh, football officials and uh, uh, kind of an inspiration, I think, to a lot of young guys that they're bringing in to, uh, you, know, you know, kind of revamp the uh, football officials. So uh, just looking forward to, to meeting them. I know they did this in the past. They would do it uh, early, early morning, not really have enough time before media day, and unfortunately, you'd ask them questions about, like, well, how does USC lead the uh, – USC's opponents uh, lead the conference every year in fewest penalties, no matter who they are? And they'd give you an answer like, mathematically, that's, that's really not probable. We really can't explain it, though, you know, and you just want to bang your head against the wall. <laughs> so uh, 
It'll be interesting. Uh, it certainly looks like the Stanford game last year, if they had any questions about what they were going to do about football officiating, uh, the Stanford game helped them decide it. Uh, they certainly weren't telling us, but you got to give them credit for, uh, you know, they, uh, they made the call and they did it and got, got a lot, brought a lot of new officials in and, uh, it, it's going to look, I think, completely different. I think uh, UFC fans have to be pleased. I think they will be. We'll see. So it'll be fun. We'll see what happens tonight. But definitely check out uscfootball.com. Uh, we have a lot of questions today, Dan. So let's try and get to some of these. We've got some voicemail questions. Again, if you want to leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755. We have a few of them on the show today. A lot of questions about Ohio State. I'll start off with the voicemail question, then we can get into some of the other ones. And uh, coming down this week that uh, the Ohio State wasn't going to face a uh, failure to monitor or lack of institutional control charges, anything like that. Uh, here's the qu- first question. Uh, Ryan, J.D. from uh, D.C., now that the uh, it, it appears clearly that uh, Ohio State's going to get a wrist slap and not even be uh, sanctioned with the failure to supervise, let alone lack of institutional control, it's pretty transparent, I think, even to unbiased people that uh, – the sanctions against USC were all designed to be the moral equivalent of a death penalty, and it's pretty pretty certain they're teeing up Kiffin for a show cause order, which will drive the uh, lid in the coffin and effectively, you know, cumulatively deliver the death penalty to this program. Um, don't you think that Pat Hayden needs to get out in front of this process and lay down some markers that, you know, don't don't even think about? lynching Kiffin because we will take you to court. I mean, you know, how much longer can the administration just sit there and let these people dismantle uh, the football program simply out of pure spite and jealousy, nothing more and nothing less? Well, uh, you know, J.D. probably, you know, represents the feelings of an awful lot of people. Uh, It does seem to be uh, the USC case essentially seems like they decide the, the case, and then they, uh, based on whatever it is they want to, you know, want to uh, decide it with, and then they uh, find the facts to, you know, fit the uh, fit the decision. It, it does look like uh, decisions that were made before uh, finding, uh, you know, the information that they need. I mean, they kept the USC case open for four years. The Ohio State case, for example. They can't close it fast enough because if they keep it open, more and more things keep coming out. I mean, you know, almost everything that was in the Sports Illustrated article is not in this case. They said they couldn't find it. Sports Illustrated spent a week or two in Columbus and found all kinds of players that told them all kinds of things. None of that made it into the uh, into the case. Uh, the NCAA, essentially, I think the problem they've got with the Ohio State case is they can't score any points uh, because they've been telling everybody for years that Ohio State had this perfect compliance department. Now it looks like obviously the Ohio State compliance department was basically a cover so that they could keep doing what they were doing. Uh, uh, and, and the difference between Ohio State and USC obviously is what Ohio State was doing was with uh, the uh, cooperation of the coach, uh, the cooperation of uh, certainly looked like people in the uh, – Compliance department were involved with uh, getting those kids' cars. Uh, they weren't registering them. Uh, they were lying to the NCAA. Uh, you know, all kinds of things. If any area you looked at, it looks like much more severe. Uh, uh, you know, and, and you know, violations by Ohio State. 
the fact that none of those uh, earned either in a I mean that Lane Kiffin is facing a failure to you know monitor uh, and promote uh, you know uh, uh, compliant behavior at Tennessee for 16 phone calls and that were made during a week when uh, they were allowed to make phone calls and uh, and a visit of a kid back to his own high school uh, who did no recruiting but they're calling it a recruiting trip. That's a serious major violation that Lane has to answer for, but that Ohio State didn't have anything that raised, you know reached that level. Obviously, uh, the double standard is just almost mind-boggling. Uh, the what USC's decided to do, it's uh, you know all we know is uh, what they've said from the very beginning that they're not going to do anything, that they trust them, that they're they're quality people at the NCAA. They don't know why they do what they do, uh, and they just want it over. Um, it's kind of a, you know, if this were World War II, USC is France. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I'm, <laughs> not sure gonna gonna that, gonna <laughs> I'm not sure anybody's going to come to the rescue. Uh, that seems to be the problem. If I, you know, if you had to dream something, you'd say, well, maybe the Pac-12, if USC has a really good season, the Pac-12 will come to the rescue and say, We'd like to have USC in the championship game, please. Uh, uh, you know, and, and maybe the Pac-12 schools would go together and say, uh, you know, this isn't fair. I don't know, uh, but you know, JD, you uh, you you hit something that we all just kind of bang our heads and say, uh, how do you tell them in advance that you're going to do uh, nothing in response, no matter what they do to you? Uh, it looked like they decided. They wanted to get USC uh, for all kinds of reasons, and uh, and if you looked at the committee on infractions that handled the USC case, those people had all kinds of reasons uh, that they wanted to get USC, and a lot of them shouldn't have been on that committee, obviously, uh, but uh, but they were. So I wish I had a better answer. I know. I wish somebody had an answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, there is no answer right now. Yeah, and I feel bad because I know people kind of get hick- sick of uh, hearing about it. But I mean, we had no less than four uh, email questions and a couple voicemail questions on this su- a subject just this week. Uh, Pat wrote in and said, "OSU shows us that NCAA equals no consistency at all." I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, Michael is uh, he's more worried about uh, the Lane Kiffin situation, you know, with with going on to Tennessee. Um, where they give you, you know, do you think USC is going to get more penalties with Coach Kiffin? He says the matter is becoming ludicrous, and I think everyone agrees with him. Sam um, had some some of the similar concerns, and you know, want to know how they're going to handle the Kiffin case, and and, and a couple of people also written about. He wanted to know about being proactive, doing some kind of lawsuit, media pressure, PR, and uh, Casey wrote in with the same thing, saying that you know, it, it's time for USC to say enough is enough, and and take the you know take control of this case and um you know get out there on your own and, and maybe it's going through the todd mcnair lawsuit is that how usc has to show uh you know what what was wrong with the ncaa there there's a lot you know there's a lot of issues going on the kiffin stuff maybe you know usc getting out in front of it will they rely on todd mcnair's lawsuit against the ncaa like how's all you know all those kind of concerns were coming up well that's the the question is there a big strategy uh you know we uh i know uh we kind of developed, uh, you know, an approach to the case, and and I think over the year we made it clear 
you know, we had all the documents, we read all the files, we uh, looked at all the mistakes the NCAA made, we saw all the inconsistencies. This was before any of these other things happened. I mean, we knew we knew all about that before we knew anything about, you know, Auburn and Cam Newton or Oregon or Ohio State or any of those uh, cases. And now here they come in the Tennessee case. Uh, and we realize, holy, it's worse than we ever thought by a factor of, of gosh, only knows. I mean, the, the only good thing is all of this inconsistency and double standard make it so clear what happened to USC and the scale of, uh, of unfairness and, you know, and dishonesty that the, the way the NCAA treated USC uh, and the way they've changed their rules in order to protect the USC ruling by saying you can't compare any one ruling with any other ruling and that every uh, infractions panel is its own little world and they can do anything they want. You can't say, well, two different schools got two different completely different penalties for doing the same thing. And they're saying, that's okay. You know, uh, the, you know, the infractions committee knows best and whatever they do, whatever they want to do, they can do. Uh, it's, uh, basically it's a lawless situation, uh, where the NCA says there are no more rules. There are no laws. Uh, whoever is on that panel can do whatever they want to whoever they want. And there's nothing you can do about it. And obviously they don't want to do anything to, uh, Ohio State. They don't want to do anything to LSU for 3,500 phone calls that were illegal. Uh, but Tennessee, 16 phone calls that were made during a week when it was legal to contact players. But for some reason, Lane was supposedly told not to do that. And I find it interesting that in Lane's case, on the, in the Tennessee case, we don't have evidently a written memo we don't have anything in writing. We have someone recalling that he went down from the compliance department at Tennessee, and he remembers telling the coaches, Lane and Ed Orgeron, uh, not to make those phone calls. But for some reason, we don't have in there why he told them they couldn't make them during a week when they were allowed to contact players. And it's interesting that the, the software, for example, we wrote about the software that USC has on their, on their phones uh, that will not allow a coach to make a call during a time period when it's illegal to make that call to a recruit. And the tennis, Tennessee also had that kind of software. And it didn't stop them from making the calls. Why? Because they weren't illegal during that time span, except for the fact that Tennessee is now saying, but we told them not to do that. We don't know why they told them. It's very fishy, really suspicious. The two, the, the two charges uh, that Lane is, that they say are major issues for Lane at, at Tennessee are so suspicious, so fishy, and so much of a lesser uh, 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 violation than anything that came up in the Ohio State case for which they're not getting cited for anything major. It's, uh, uh, it's just, you know... It's the kind of thing you would think USC has to respond to, but I'm not sure they will. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe there's a, quote, understanding, the way there was an understanding that if USC uh, acted really nice, didn't say anything bad, and guaranteed they wouldn't sue, they'd get their penalties reduced on appeal. How'd that work out? It didn't work well, out. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, are, are there people saying, 
Well, the last thing that they've done is they're making sure that, that they're going to protect Lane at all costs. We'll see. We'll see. Now, I know they have the ability to um, um, immediately appeal whatever comes down for Lane. It certainly looks like the NCA has decided, okay, the easier way for us to go is to go after the coaches, and uh, the easier way for schools to protect themselves is to totally blame the coaches and get the coaches to leave uh, if they really decide, you know, we've got a case like that. Uh, you know, it, obviously in, in Lane's case, there's nothing even anywhere near. Uh, I mean, if you looked at the Southeastern Conference for the 14 months that Lane was there at Tennessee, it's ridiculous uh, uh, to think that he was, you know, a scofflaw or, or somebody. You know, here the NCAA, for example, is considering – they haven't said they can't do it yet, uh, allowing Texas to show up at any high school recruits game in the country and broadcast the game on the Texas network. But Lane's going to be in major trouble because a kid uh, who was an uh, intern on his staff went back to visit his old high school the same day Lane was there recruiting. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's just it's nuts. It's, it is through the looking glass. It's, uh, it's crazy. I think what we want to do now, though, is probably get away from trying to reason all of this out and trying to compare cases and all that, because it, obviously there is no rationale. There is no USC was found guilty for being USC. That was a major violation. Lane Kiffin is being pursued because he's Lane Kiffin. That's it. It's that simple. And. Uh, USC probably needs to do something to send a message to the NCA that we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to stand for being, you know, discriminated against for being USC or our coach being discriminated against because he's our coach. That's it. I mean, it's that simple. Whatever has to happen. The only, you know, ray of sunshine might be if the NCA, uh, you know, continues on this path and does something to Lane completely out of line with any kind of uh, understanding of uh, fair play or the rules or whatever, it may push the situation to a place where not only Lane acts, but that USC acts and in a way uh, consistent with some of the things that are look like they're going to be happening in Congress and that uh, the case will be well known enough and it will have all of the uh, – Cases that have happened since that have gotten completely different treatment um, to show for it. For example, the thought that Matt Barkley, who was in the fifth and sixth grade when whatever happened at USC happened, will not be allowed to play in two straight bowl games, but that Cam Newton and Terrell Pryor, the NCAA couldn't get into gear fast enough to get those two in the bowl games last year. But they can't do anything about Matt Barkley. He can't play in a bowl game. Or the 30 kids that won't get scholarships to go to USC. That's just, that's, that's beyond the pale. I mean, I could make the case that on that basis alone, that depriving of 30 kids the chance to come to USC on a scholarship is worth it for USC to sue. On, on behalf of those 30 kids, there's no way that's justified. There's no way that's fair. 
There's no way that's consistent with any rule that the NCAA ever had. And for that alone, not for USC, but for those 30 kids, USC should consider where do we go and how do we do this because that's not fair. Those 30 kids, will that's an opportunity they'll never – I mean, think about the life-changing – uh, opportunities that are going to be missed for those 30 kids. And, and ultimately, 30 kids will not get scholarships to Division I universities as a result of that. That's awful. There's no way. And those are innocent kids. So anyway, maybe this will yeah. make it all come to a head, uh, and maybe that will be a good thing. I don't know. I think they've gone through so much last year, though, I think, this year's team is going to be able to handle it. I wasn't sure, but the more you see them, the more you, the way they handle the Mark Tyler thing, for example, uh, the last uh, week. Uh, I think these guys are pretty resilient. Uh, and I think, you know, as tough as last year was, one of the things that it did to this team and probably this coaching staff is it has enabled them to handle these kinds of things going forward. Anyway, that's just, Trying to sum it up. It's hard. <laughs> it's a hard. There's a lot to sum Sorry up about there. that. No, no problem. We got one uh, one last question. I want to get to before we let you go. I know we got a. We were trying to get three guests on today, so we'll do a. You know, we're doing a lot. But uh, Troy SoCal had this. Uh, it was a pretty interesting email. He's he's gone back over the last two seasons and watched a lot of tape of Oregon and Oregon State, mostly LaMichael James and Jacquez Rogers in slow mo, every possible way to see them. He said they'll run up the middle. Defenders get their hands on them and just slip off. Often these guys aren't. 235-pound running backs. He thinks that they're spraying their uniforms with silicon, making them slippery as heck. It's a clear liquid that dries fast, odorless, only takes a slight miss to be effective, can be bought at almost any hardware store. He's like, I'm willing to bet these guys are using just what I described. Uh, (laughs) What do you think about that? And should USC running backs start doing that as well? Uh, (laughs) I never heard about Um, that before, but I I thought you might I mean, my... my, uh, feeling is that the thing that Oregon has done, certainly, and to Kiz Rogers, I think, you know, as a 5'7", 185-pound guy, and I, the Michael James is a little taller, but also 185, you know, they're, they're really, uh, uh, you know, they're kind of an interesting build. They're, 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 they're not stocky guys. They're kind of, you know, they're wiry, but compact in a different sort of a way, uh, and they are, I think, just mechanically, it's hard to grab them because their center of gravity is lower, but they're strong, you know, with a low center of gravity and really strong legs and very, very quick. Uh, I, th- you know, and I do think there, you know, a lot of the times, you know, you've got guys that almost get there and get their hands on them and, and, and you know, don't quite, uh, you know, uh, make the tackle, and uh, obviously the difference, for example, in the championship game against Auburn is they're playing on a, a brand-new field that was slippery, and uh, they, you know, the Auburn kids couldn't get their footing. I mean, uh, excuse me, the Oregon kids couldn't get their footing, and the Auburn kids had, uh, you know, had a month to get ready for it. Uh, you know, you, you've always heard, I gosh, when I was a high school coach, I think we always heard that there were, you know, people were doing this or that to their uniforms, and, and people did every once in a while, you know, do something like that. Uh, I, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, a possibility, uh, 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 it's an interesting thought, let me just say that. And it's the kind of thing, 
a kid could do on his own if he really wanted to. Uh, um, let's let's think about that one for a while. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, I know you like the uniform stuff. That... Uh, the Oregon <laughs> kids, I know this. They were wearing different. I mean, I know that you know. Obviously, they're a Nike school. USC is a Nike uh, school. But when you looked at the shoes that Oregon was wearing, and you looked at the shoes USC was wearing, uh, they weren't wearing anything that looked like similar shoes. Uh, and I thought, you know, US, uh, Oregon came in last year to the Coliseum, and I thought they had an advantage in footwear. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, how that all plays out, but. Uh, 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 but those are things to think about. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, well, maybe we'll ask the uh, uh, people at the Pac-12 tonight if uh, <laughs> there's any sort of a test uh, uh, that they have the ability to, you know. I mean, I know you have seen it in games. I have, where uh, uh, officials have, uh, you know, checked the jersey out, for example, like a baseball game where they check the you umpire know, checks the baseball to see if there's some. Uh, some foreign substance on it or if it feels like there might be. And I, I, I have seen it on occasion where, you know, a guy has to put on another jersey. Uh, but uh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> that's a very interesting question. Uh, I don't know. I thought Oregon, one of the advantages they had was they, uh, they hold you so long uh, before they call the play, and they kind of, I think, get the defense almost where they relax, and then they, then they make the play call. And they do some, there's some movement involved and there's some, uh, the way they handle the ball with the center and all that, that I do think, uh, officials are going to have to call them on, uh, a little bit more. And, um, uh, you know, I think that, that, uh, I thought affected, uh, the defensive line's ability to play, uh, uh play Oregon in the middle as, as much as anything as, as the way they, they got into the play and when they, uh, actually snapped the ball. Uh, but uh, uh, it's worth thinking about. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks for answering those questions. And uh, yeah, I appreciate everyone out there sending in your questions. I know there was a lot of reaction to this Ohio State situation. So Dan Weber's the best guy to talk about it, and we're uh, glad you could have you on, Dan. Thanks again. Thank you, Ryan. Enjoyed it. Okay, All right. See you. And we'll be back in uh, 30 seconds to go talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Gerard Martinez on the line, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, overall recruiting guru. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good, good. Just uh, got a lot of uh, stuff to get to on the podcast today, you know, with the Ohio State stuff, Mark Tyler stuff, recruiting, like we've had so many questions. We appreciate everyone uh, writing in and calling in uh, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We're up to talk about some of this stuff maybe on the show this week, Gerard. So we'll uh, on uscfootball.com TV later on in the week. So we'll do that on Thursday again. Maybe we'll, if we miss some stuff, we can get we can get it there. But lots to get to. Lots to get to. So let's get to it. 
Sounds good. Okay, so first up, Ricky. Can any of the 10 of Troy recruits from the July 13th post graduate early since there's another uh, early enrollee spot available? Or could that early enrollee spot be where Gerald Bowman fits in? What do you think about getting some guys in early? Well, first and foremost, yeah, Gerald Bowman is going to be a guy that uh, is going to come in early. We just had an update on him uh, last week. And um, definitely one of those players being a Juco that has kind of been through the rigmarole with uh, different schools and transferring, he should be able to qualify and get out in in December and be ready to go in January. And that's really, you know, kind of what USC, I think, likes about him the most is that, you know, he can go towards another early enrollee spot. Um, other than in Troy, most of the prospects there are not early enrollees. At least they're not set up right now to be early enrollees. Uh, you know, Ellis McCarthy, who is uh, really at the top, you know, being that three-technique defensive uh, tackle that, you know, we kind of talked about that last week, uh, the rankings and, and why everybody's ranked where they are ranked. Um, you know, he's kind of at that money position, if you will, if he's coming into that 4-3 with uh, USC's defense. Um, he's not set to be an early enrollee. Um, I think the one guy out of that list that may have a possibility Sneaking in early would be Nelson Aguilar. He's not really scheduled right now. He hasn't talked about that in a while. Uh, the safety from um, Tampa, uh, Florida, who was visited USC uh, twice now. Um, you know, over the summer uh, last year he visited, which was uh, one of his first summer camps, and then this past uh, summer he visited as well. And um, USC was the first school on him, and has been recruiting pretty hard. And he's, you know, Monty Kiffin, Lane Kiffin. Got a lot of ties to Tampa area. Uh, they brought, brought out uh, Tyreek McCord as well, who's a uh, 6'3", 225-pound defensive end from Tampa, Jefferson High School. And, um, you know, USC showing that they've got some pull still in Florida and, and bringing some guys in. But as far as early release, a lot of the top-name guys that they have that are on the board that aren't committed are not scheduled to be early enrollees right now. And that's, you know, one of those things that you kind of have to, you have some school lined up well, and uh, you just have to be kind of prepared to do that. There's an occasional recruit that, you know, they come in and then it's September and they start, you know, looking at their credits and maybe they can take an extra class uh, if that's viable at the school. You know, USC ran into some issues last year with Charles Burks, who was really set up okay to, to try to enroll early he wasn't necessarily trying over the summer but by you know fall camp he got into the september kind of october uh area of school and uic was kind of you know talking about hey you know we might have a spot for you but you have to be an early enrollee well at that point it was obviously you know too late for him to take summer school classes so he had to add on to his uh fall coursework and Edison High School, the high school that he went to, would not allow him to graduate early, mainly because it's a policy because if you have a lot of seniors that are graduating early, a semester early, you got a lot of empty seats in the classroom uh, the last semester of their senior year that the school can't really fill. And so it becomes just a, a budget issue. It becomes just a policy bureaucratic issue with uh, the high schools and the, and the school districts. And so some schools actually frown upon kids graduating early. So, you know, that's something that can happen. You know, the more early, early spots that are open, meaning the more at this point when we talk about that, we're basically saying the more 2011 
uh, prospects, signees, incoming freshmen that are ineligible uh, because that's what's opening up more and more uh, 2011 spot or excuse me 2012 early release spots, which is really kind of the same 2011 spots uh, that weren't filled by the 2011 class. Um, you know the 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 more spots that are open, the more shifting, the more uh, you know, strategic kind of reevaluation of the class that's going to happen, you know, down the stretch. Last year, there was a lot of scrambling, you know, in December uh, over just junior college prospects and, you know, trying to get to 30-plus guys and, and trying to sign as many as they could and just get bodies in this class knowing that they wanted to get as many signees as they could. Um, that starts to happen a little more, you know, with this class if – there's more and more spots that open up. Uh, granted, we're going to kind of know, you know, after fall camp exactly how many spots there are. That's going to be a little more clear. But when you're trying to get early enrollees and, and, you're, and you're dealing with, you know, I think JUCO prospects a lot of the time because that's the guys that are trying to get out early. There's a little more, it seems, wiggle room with those guys um, as to whether they can get out and what they can't. Uh, that it becomes a little more of a mad dash and making sure that they can get the, the, the exact number of recruits that they want. Um, speaking of that, just to add in, we did talk to Kelvin York uh, just uh, the other night, and he is on track still to complete uh, his uh, coursework by the time uh, he's scheduled now to graduate in December. Uh, right now for this next semester he's got coming up, it's all electives for him. So he's got his general ed, his English, his math completed. Um, it's all a bunch of sociology classes and um, psychology classes that he's taking, uh, which uh, can be just as tough in college. Um, but he's at least got done uh, the majority of his uh, general ed classes. So those are all behind him. So he's still on track right now to graduate early. So we'll see kind of how that develops. Um, you know, he's a guy that USC is going to, uh, you know, think a lot about, you know, just coming down the pike here. And, and if he can get in early, he's going to get in. Uh, it becomes a bigger question all of a sudden. If he can't get in early, you know, that's going to be something that uh, we have to see if USC still takes him. So um, a lot of that, you know, like I said, it's going to be December, going to be uh, – kind of, you know, down the wire a little bit. It's going to be interesting, this class. Uh, it could get very, very interesting uh, towards the end uh, here of uh, the year. Yeah, I think the next few years are going to be interesting because it's going to, you know, trying to squeeze in 15 guys and normal 25 spots. So we'll we'll follow it and uh, see if Lane Kiffin's up to the task. I think he will be, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Steve had a question, Gerard. He said he's been wondering about the uh, three incoming players that have not arrived at USC yet. These are guys from the class of 2011. Uh, we reported last week about Steve Dillon uh, not making it in there. Um, he also wanted to know about some of the other guys. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, the guys we're talking about, J.R. Tavai, I uh, haven't seen him in yet, um, Greg Townsend Jr., and then also uh, Javarius Allen. There were some different reports about him. We haven't seen him much. I know people are asking about him on the Peristyle and Tried to contact him and haven't been able to see him. You know, I talked to players on the team and they haven't seen him around in meetings or anything. So it looks like still a few guys that from the class of 2011 that aren't on campus yet. Yeah, good luck with uh, Javaris Allen. <laughs> now you know my plight uh, as far as recruiting goes. Some some guys just don't want to be getting a hold of. Uh, but uh, with with there's more than three guys that uh, are not on campus right now. Um, and as you mentioned, Devai and Townsend. Um, you know, Junior Palme is not currently on campus. He was enrolled in summer school and had to pull out uh, because of really more of a miscommunication as far as his classwork and, and what he had 
um, already kind of completed. Uh, he had to basically go back uh, to Moreno Valley and take another summer school class uh, at Retro Verde High School in order to be eligible. It was just for whatever reason a, a class that he didn't know he had to take. Uh, I guess you know his. I don't know if it was just a. a uh, an error in, in USC looking at his transcripts, or it was an error from his, you know, high school counselors didn't know, not knowing that he had to take uh, another specific elective class. From what I understand, what I gather, uh, we talked about this in the war room last week. It's not a class that he necessarily failed. It's just a class that he didn't know he had to take. So that tells me it's just an elective. And uh, from the source I talked to, was pretty confident that he was going to be good to go. But nonetheless, still not on campus right now. Um, Trey Madden's also not on campus right now. So that's an additional 2011 recruit that's still in summer school. Um, he's retaking a math class. He's pretty confident that he's going to make it and that he'd be good to go. Um, but, you know, you never know. Sometimes you get uh, the uh, the optimistic look uh, from uh, recruits, and that's the hard thing, you know, about reporting when it comes to the whole academic issues in summer schools. Uh, you know, nobody wants to be, uh, you know, labeled uh, behind the curve when it comes to being eligible, and and um, it's uh, it's a touchy subject, and so you know, it's it's hard to report on because you don't always get. Uh, the the real deal. You don't always get the 100% accurate. Yeah, this is where I stand. Um, so we kind of have to wait and see and, and see. Also, and I, and I know I've mentioned this before, not just on the podcast, but the peristyle. We really don't know who's in for 100% sure until fall camp because there's kids for the last I don't know what two three years. You, you would remember Ryan that have been incoming freshmen that have supposedly been cleared, and then all of a sudden they get yanked out of fall camp, and they're sitting for a week in fall camp not being able to play because the NCAA clearinghouse is overlooking their transcripts again. Or there's some kind of they're not sure if uh, this kid has been able um, to, 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 to be able to play because maybe he doesn't have all the classes that they thought he had, or there's a test score that all of a sudden gets flagged all the way in August, and he took this test, you know, back in May. It's all weird. And, and so there's some things that can still happen. Demetrius Wright last year is a guy that comes to mind. There's been guys in the past uh, where, you know, things have happened, where they've been on campus and actually participating in fall camp to some extent, and then they get pulled back. So we kind of have to wait until that point to really, really know who's in and who's out. Um, but uh, but as far as the guys go, you know, right now that are not have arrived on campus yet, um, Madden looks good. He's sounding good. Uh, same thing with Townsend. Those guys are both confident. Pame, uh, Jarrett Tavai, that was in the war room last week. I'm going to leave that for the war room. We did have uh, some specific info on him. Sorry, but you know what? Subscribers got to get a little something <laughs> uh, out, of, out of the war room. Uh, but uh, we have some info on him. Um, no update on Javarius Allen. That's the guy that, uh, like I was kind of, you know, m- mentioning with, with Ryan saying that he was trying to get a hold of him. Uh, not really a guy that we've talked to, I think, throughout the whole process. I've not talked to him personally throughout the whole process. Um, he just doesn't really do much uh, as far as uh, interviews, and, and it's kind of hard, you know, with uh, Tallahassee Lincoln kids in general. You know, uh, T.J. Bryant, Javonza Starling, both those guys pretty much just refuse to talk to the media throughout the recruiting process. And, um, you know, right now people are just guessing at, at what's going on with them. I have not heard anything uh, from this side of the country as far as is his eligibility. A lot of people assume that's an academic issue. I don't know that it's an academic issue. I, I really haven't heard one way or the other. It could be something else that's going on. Um, really, you know, it's, it's, 
it's all up to the imagination at this point because uh, we we just have not heard uh, from any good solid sources exactly what his deal is and um, you know it's it's not necessarily one of the recruits that's in this 2011 class that I think you know people are necessarily worried about either because I mean he's coming in maybe he's a big back maybe he ends up playing linebacker he's coming off a knee injury. There's just a lot of question marks about him. I mean, with USC even offering a scholarship, it kind of was, yeah, people were kind of wondering if that was a legitimate scholarship offer for So he's just kind of out of sight, out of mind right now. And, um, you know, I think uh, guys like Tavai and, and Greg Townsend are, are, are a little more important um, as far as, you know, the, the, the future of the class just because, you know, the D-line class already taking a hit with uh, Steve Dillon going out. If, uh, you know, a guy like J.R. Tavai or Townsend aren't able to qualify, um, then, then you're really, you know, the defensive line, you need a rotation for sure. You definitely need a new rotation. You've you got to have at least eight, nine guys on that defensive line that you can bring in uh, in a game that, that can get some reps. And so you're going to be digging a little deeper into your depth chart and, and I think that, you know, with Lyman already kind of being some question marks, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball, you know, USC fans don't want to hear about that on the defensive side of the ball. And they know that if you don't have it up front, then you just don't have it. And that's in the Pac-10, and that's in the SEC. It doesn't matter what conference you're in. And so I, I think with that said, um, those guys become a little more uh, headline news as well. All right. Uh, Jeff wants to know, it's a receiver question. Uh, he loves Robert Woods, and he thinks Farmer can be great too, but – Right now, we have no pure vertical threat. Um, he wants to know why USC isn't going after Durrell Green. Beckham Hardy, 6'6", 220 pounds, has the length and size to get any ball thrown his way, and his body would be a good blocker downfield uh, for the running game. He knows there's limited scholarship offers and with two commits already, but both those guys seem to be willing to look elsewhere. He thinks Woods and Farmer plus uh Darrell Green Beckham would be uh, would be a great would be insane he called it so what do you think about recruiting him big receiver I I think that sounds right on and I think USC is in agreement with that uh, I don't know that they're not really going hard after him I think it's just one of those issues uh, kind of going back to the Javarius Allen the Buck Allen uh, you know conversation and, and discussions he's just not doing a lot of media he's just not doing any interviews it's kind of hard to really know what is going on with Darrell Green Beckham. I hear that USC still has a shot at an official visit, and then all bets are off. You know, you get a kid in on an official visit, and that's, you know, definitely going to be something that can sway, uh, you know, a commitment. I, I think especially with Los Angeles and the coaching staff, just it seems like, you know, the past two staffs, that's been really the greatest asset that USC has had in recruiting is just the coaches. You know, just getting recruits around the coaches and, and their energy and just how they conduct themselves, it, it always seems to be – a positive for USC, um, among other things. Obviously, you know, just Los Angeles, you get a kid in in January and, and it's, you know, 80 degrees out here, and that's that's something that uh, a lot of these recruits really like too. So, you know, there's a lot that can go on if you get that official visit, and USC still in the running for that official visit. So I wouldn't say that they're not going at hard after him. Um, it's just one of those things where he's going to wait probably to the very end. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say that Oklahoma's the leader, Alabama is in there. Um, you know, obviously the, the season is going to have an effect on, on what, you know, Green Beckham really thinks about these schools, what he thinks about the depth chart. Uh, but, again, it, there's just not a lot coming out of his camp as far as uh, his, his 
opinion on schools and what schools he's favoring. So um, it's a little bit of an assumption that, uh, you know, USC's out of it. Uh, USC, it's, it's all kind of secondhand information, a lot of kind of guessing, you know, where, where, where he's leaning. And I would say, again, that sounds great to me. I mean, Woods and, and Farmer and uh, Green Beckham would be a heck of a heck of a lineup. I mean, but you know what? A heck of a lineup is also Woods, Farmer, and the Kyle Prater that we've seen in practice uh, thus far. I mean, he's kind of a little bit forgotten just because, you know, he hasn't played and has been hurt. But if that guy is 100% healthy, I mean, that's a, just a weapon in and of itself. I mean, he, he's he's – He's really, really good, and he has a lot of ability. And, uh, and, and you know, Kareem Beckham is, is, a, is a phenomenal physical specimen, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, he would be a guy that would play regardless of what school he's going to end up at. But um, if Kyle Prater can come in and play uh, the way that we think he's capable of playing, the flashes that he's shown just in, um, you know, practice and, and workouts, then um, – yeah, I don't know if anybody's going to be crying over uh, not getting Green Beckham. No, I agree with you there. He's he's going to be uh, phenomenal as long as he stays healthy, obviously. But he's just a, a great talent. Uh, last one for you, Gerard. Before we let you go, Kevin, he wants to know how Max Wittick and Cody Kessler would compare to the 2012 quarterback recruits. Where would they rank on those lists? There's some great quarterbacks in the recruiting class, like Connor Brewer, Zach Klein, Bart Houston, Shane Dillon, Jake Rodriguez. Uh, Travis Wilson, do you think USC would take a quarterback in this recruiting class since they offered Jake Rodriguez? Do you think they're going to wait for a quarterback like Hayden Reddick or, or Troy Williams for the 2003 class? What do you think? That's a good question. That's a very good question. And uh, it's it's tough to answer just because you're, you're, you're going back and forth between classes and, and you know, the depth of talent is, is always different. Um, I think they would be ranked fairly high maybe even higher than they were last year. Um, I think really with Riddick especially, I think would be ranked higher than a lot of guys. Connor Brewer has not been very impressive at all. He's a very small quarterback, doesn't really show a big arm. Um, sometimes that can be deceiving. I mean, he threw for a lot of yards last year um, on a really good team. But just in terms of, you know, physically, he doesn't match up very well with Cody Kessler or Max Wittig. Um, Park Houston, kind of another guy who plays for a great high school team in Dale Sal. Um, a lot bigger, stronger prospect, a, a guy that just kind of commands a little more respect in terms of just uh, um, his physical prowess. Uh, but I don't think he's the pure passer that Wittig or Kessler are, you know, at this point in high school. Uh, Shane Dillon just hadn't been very impressed with him. Again, not a guy that, you know, physically is going to blow you away, doesn't really have every throw. Um, I, I would put Cody and, and, and Max both ahead of him. Uh, Jake Rodriguez was impressive. He was probably the most impressive quarterback that I saw in person this year, um, just at the, the Stanford Nike camp. Uh, he has some intangibles. He's a, he's a lot like Cody, really. I, I, I don't I want to say a lot like Cody, but I think more like Cody than Max Wittick. Uh, he kind of got that little bit of a, uh, you know, baby Sanchez nickname, uh, you know, being uh, a Latino quarterback. And I, I guess that's, you know, people make those, uh, those comparisons just off uh, face value. I don't think he's really 
that level guy, you know, like Mark Sanchez was coming out of high school. Mark Sanchez was was really good coming out of high school. I think Jake Rodriguez has a lot of potential coming out of high school. He's also a guy that's run for, you know, over 1,000 yards, um, kind of has a little bit of some dual threat tendencies. He's a little more raw, kind of has to come into form a little more. But he showed, you know, some great leadership ability, great kid, smart, um, you know, those intangibles that you like to have in a quarterback and on top of it um, has some physical ability and, and, can, and can really chuck the ball. Um, he would, in my opinion, line up closer to Whittakin Kessler, which is, you know, it's easy to say. I mean, USC just offered him, so you'd say, of course, you know. So, uh, But I, I don't know if I would rank him above either of those guys either. Whittak, I think he might be a little closer to because Whittak, you know, we have to remember – in high school, didn't really throw for a ton of yards. I mean, he was kind of a guy that, that was a part-time starter for a while, uh, didn't really come into full-time view until, you know, really his junior year. And so, you know, he was a guy that kind of didn't – he didn't have the results uh, that some of these quarterbacks do that, that end up being, you know, four-year starters. So that was kind of a little more of a question mark with him. You know, he, he kind of had, had had some games where he would struggle. Um, you know, when Victor Blackwell went down – uh, senior year, you know, Wittick really struggled and, and didn't really have a lot of good playmakers to throw the ball to. So that also, you know, kind of hampered him and, and left some question marks with people. Uh, well, Cody Kessler had just two phenomenal years where he, I think he threw 36 touchdowns and had like two interceptions at some point uh, his senior year. So, I mean, that was a guy that, you know, commanded uh, just a lot of attention because of the stats he was putting up and and just kind of the kid he was. Again, you know, he's one of those guys that's that outgoing leadership, has a lot of those intangibles. So those guys were, were, were thought of pretty highly. I think Rodriguez would probably be closer with Wittick. Um, now, in, ter- in terms of recruiting a quarterback in this class, I think it's tough. I think Rodriguez was a little bit of a reach for USC, to be honest with you. I think they're chasing that one. There was a lot of things that could happen with Oregon. I think this is something that I kind of opined about a little bit on the peristyle. Um, I see the strategy involved with it, uh, but I, I don't know if I necessarily think that's the best move for USC to, to, to do right now with everything as is. It's a good move if all of a sudden Matt Barkley leaves early for the NFL, if you know things kind of go wrong with Oregon because they are you know under investigation by the NCAA some things could happen, you know, from this point until the end of the year where all of a sudden Jake Rodriguez starts to have second thoughts about Oregon. So USC positions themselves well. They, they, they offer them early. They kind of allow themselves to kind of sit back. They couldn't take, I think, that commitment right now, even if, you know, Jake Rodriguez decided, you know what, I don't want to go to Oregon anymore. I want to go to USC. I don't know how they would really be able to work that. But like I said, that's the here and now. Down the line, you know, and this is where, again, I, I know I've said this time and time again, and I sound like such a homer when I talk about it, but this is where Lane Kiffin is is really an asset as a head coach because I think, you know, they're looking at this thing uh, ten steps down the road here. You know, they're, they're trying to make sure we don't get caught with our pants down uh, with the quarterback position. All of a sudden, Barkley decides he's going to leave. He's a first-round pick at the end of the year. Uh, maybe they have a transfer of the two guys who they'll probably try to redshirt this year with Wittick and Kessler or maybe Scroggins decides he's unhappy and he's you know he's slipping on the depth chart and he leaves or maybe they just don't feel like 
Scroggins is a guy that can step up and be that guy to take over for Matt Barkley if he leaves early. There's a lot of things that could happen. And also, by the way, um, you know, uh, Jake Rodriguez's teammate, Jalen Colfitz Patrick, uh, is committed to USC. So USC is going to know what's going on with his recruitment. I think they'll have a good feel for if all of a sudden he starts to waver from Morgan. So it's not, you know, in that way, looking down the line, it's not a bad offer. But for the here and now, I, I mean, it's, it's a reach and they're kind of chasing on it. Um, if, if not, a lot of things change. If you don't have a, all of a sudden some, you know, turmoil going on in Oregon and, and Rodriguez starts to second guess and all of a sudden Barkley decides to come back, then it's all for naught. But it is kind of something down the line that USC has to watch for. Um, I think really, you know, next to him, uh, I would think uh, out of this class, they, or excuse me, Zach Klein would be, uh, Zach Klein is probably the best quarterback in this class. I, I, he hasn't shown it really this offseason. I mean, yeah, he hasn't blown me away. I, I liked him at uh, the Nike camp, uh, but I, I think I liked Rodriguez a little more. Again, I've seen Zach Klein um, more, so you kind of look at him with a little more of a critical eye. Uh, but I think Klein is probably still the best quarterback in the state right now. Um, I would rank him higher then I would rank Wittick in high school, and he would probably be right there, if not a little bit above Kessler. Um, I, I like Zach Klein a lot. I like what he brings to the table. I think he has all those tools to be a really good quarterback. Um, and there, there's maybe some limits there to his potential, um, but you could make that argument with Kessler uh, as well. Wittick is probably the guy out of everybody that I've mentioned that has the most potential. I mean, he's got the big body. He's got the arm. He's really a guy that, like I said, it works against you in high school because you don't have all the results because you weren't you know, a four-year starter in high school. But then it also works for you in college because his arm is still pretty new. I mean, he's, he's not a guy that has thrown a million balls in high school. And, uh, you know, they had a pretty good running game at modern day. So, you know, he's, he's still pretty fresh coming in. And, and now is really when he can peak. And that's, uh, you know, we saw that with Matt Leiner in, in high school. You know, a guy that came in early. And, and, and he got a lot more run than Wittick did uh, in high school. But, you know, Leinert was kind of filling in and doing a lot of part-time stuff with Matt Grudigan in high school. So he wasn't, you know, a full-time starter all four years. Um, and, and so that really helped him, you know, he redshirted at USC, kind of nobody saw him coming. And all of a sudden, bada-boom, bada-bing, you know, he's one of the most successful college quarterbacks ever. And so, Wittick, you know, he there's a little bit of that kind of too, where he comes in and he hasn't thrown, you know, as many passes. You know, he's not as worn out. And, um, you know, maybe he his best ball ahead of him. Um, going to 2013, I think, yes, I think that's kind of where USC starts to position themselves a little more. I think there's a better chance that if they really sign a quarterback, it's going to be out of that 2013 class. I think there's, you know, some talent that's already standing out. You know, it was this 2012 class, outside of Klein, there was really a lot of question marks. And, and none of those guys have really stepped up and, and, you know, oh, well, this guy's really, really good. I think, you know, judging from a lot of the reports that we got from the Elite 11, you know, it's, it's a down year for quarterbacks. So I think 2013, with guys like Troy Williams and, and Hayden Reddick already kind of standing out, that tells us that the class is probably going to be a little better at the forefront. Um, and then, you know, of course, we're all waiting for 2016 uh, with David Stills. David Stills, <laughs> so, you know, he, he's out there. And, and then you got to wonder, okay, well, you know, how's USC kind of lining things up? Uh, but, uh, you know, you want to probably maybe take one, you know, every – other year, every year, depending, you know, on what I think happens with, with Wittick and Kessler because you took two that year. So you always want to kind of have three on the roster. And um, it seems like, you know, with Lane Kiffin, they, they, maybe they want four on the roster. But 
that may change with the 15 per class. You know, they they may have to you know make some adjustments there in, in their in their thinking and and that the four that they have now that happened basically that pretty much happened before uh, you know the 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 sanctions and whatnot. Um, it it kind of had Whitick already committed. A lot of people w- wondered about that. You know, is Whitick gonna they're gonna keep him and Kessler now that you know they got these scholarship issues and and all these things going on. Well, you know, I, I think the one thing that we can say confidently is that USC has to play with 75 first and then get a feel for and then the, and then the lower class limit, the 15, and, and then that's going to maybe affect, you know, how they recruit as well. I mean, they, they went through it to some extent because they dipped low. You know, they got almost, it was like 60-something at some point in scholarships uh, they had on the roster, um, you know, last year and 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 got above it this year with the 30 that they brought in or you know the 30 that they're trying to bring in but they got back to the closer to the 85 limit but when they have to dip down to that 75 you know for real and and that's the limit that they have then you know then maybe there's some positions you know the coaches start to look at and go all right hmm you know, I'm not sure. You know, maybe maybe we don't need this many tight ends. Or maybe we don't really need this many quarterbacks. And you start to really know, you know, what's uh, the necessity at that point. So we have yet to get there. Um, but I think uh, for quarterbacks, that's kind of how it's lining up right now. Um, but I think they got a couple really good ones in, in Kessler and Wittick. And uh, I think those guys bring something different to the table, but uh, are both very talented players. And they'd be at the top of the class again this year, uh, maybe even more so than uh, than last year. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, I think we'll talk to you probably on Thursday at the uh, Ustream show. Or if not, we'll talk to you next week on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Everyone. Appreciate you tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We had a lot of questions and stuff this week. Tried to get to every single one of them. It went a little long, but that's okay. Hope you enjoy the show, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.